0: All right, we're gonna get started, though I'm sure a few more people are gonna trickle in given that the keynote ran a little long. Um, always, everyone's on edge waiting for Werner to announce uh, who the artist is. I don't think he actually said the name of the artist, just assumed that we all would know who the world's number one DJ was, or I'm sure there was a massive spike in Google searches as soon as he finished the keynote going, who's the world's number one DJ, I don't know. I still don't know, but that's not my vibe. So, um, we're here to talk about compliance and what we wanna talk about is that compliance is the output Of a well run security practice. Can we get the slides up on the uh, monitors, please?
1: Yep. There
0: you go. There we go. Okay. Very exciting slide that's critical that you can see, right? Uh, So compliance is the output of a well run security practice. And what that means is that compliance should not be your goal. It's simply a byproduct of the fact that you're running security well within your organization already. Now, that seems relatively logical, but you would be surprised at how many organizations have compliance as the end goal. We are going to hit PCI compliance, and we're going to build our entire security practice around that. If you flip it around, though, you'll realize that everything in these compliance specs, and whether it's PCI, whether it's HIPAA, whether it's FedRAMP, or any other ridiculous acronym that you can squeeze together and slap a logo on, Um, It is all about good security practice. The compliance piece is about evidence, right? It's about evidence. It's about proving that you're doing what you think you are within your security practice. So compliance is the output of a well-run security practice. It's also a continuous activity. So no shame, but a quick show of hands of how many people have that mad rush the week before the auditor shows up. Yeah, no shame. I've been there too, right? And that's because a lot of the time we think of compliance as, you know, we remind ourselves at the end when the PCI auditor is scheduled to come in that, oh, yeah, we need evidence to show them. We need documentation. We need all these uh, key points to be able to prove that we are, in fact, compliance. So you need to change your mindset. So start thinking that uh, compliance is a continuous activity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, My name is Mark Nunnikova, and I'm the VP of Cloud Research at Trend Micro. You may have also noticed that this is a Trend Micro-sponsored session. This is not a sales pitch at all. Um, There's a booth. uh, We have a cool airplane booth down in the expo hall, uh, 2033, I think, is the booth number. If you want to talk about what Trend Micro does in this space, that's where to go. Here, it's all about learning uh, Robert's story. So Robert Hotelling is the chief security officer for Cengage Learning. And what we're going to do today is uh, really feature the challenges, um, hopefully keep it happy, um, but a real world view of some of the things that Robert and his team have dealt with. And the way we've structured this talk is we're going to feature um, Cengage's story, and they have this really amazing transformation where they've gone from being um, a classic bub- uh, book publisher focusing on education, Right. So they've got authors and um, they create um, manuscripts and publications and they, they manufacture them and they ship them out. So very traditional sort of model. And over the last few years, they've transitioned to an ed tech company. So an educational technology company. And what that means is they've gone from purely publishing books into creating platforms that encourage collaboration, innovation and connect educators with their students. Right. That's a significantly different problem set from getting an author to write a huge manuscript that we all used to have to tote around when we were in school um, and, and learn from. So this is a major, major challenge, and it's had a couple implications for them that have had real-world changes in their how they deliver IT solutions. And one of the major ones was an increase in uh, direct student interaction, right? So the students are now logging in and using platforms they provide. Um, so are the educators, which means there's more privacy controls, right? Student privacy is a top priority for them and that's really changed how they've had to deliver some it services and the corollary there or the connected one is that this also means that they have a significantly higher requirement for computation for storage for all of the resources right so you heard that in the keynote this morning about verner um, talking about customers who have mass amounts of data and mass amounts of computational requirements um, and it's really about this transformation this shift Um, where you go from one state to another. And this is what Robert's been through on the ground and has real-world lessons where he's seen the good and the bad um, and he's come out on the other side because Cengage has been amazingly successful in this transformation. So Robert's going to talk about that part, and we're going to do a little back and forth, but not like the fake, you know, I'll sit next to him and do a fake interview kind of thing. And we're going to do a few minute chunks for each. Um, So he's going to share his story, and then what I'm going to give you is how you can implement some of those um, tips and uh, techniques using some key AWS services that you might not be familiar with. Okay, so we'll introduce you to some uh, really helpful compliance services within AWS and how to um, get started off on the right foot with those. So overall for the talk structure what we're going to do is Robert's going to talk about getting his teams on board. So not just his direct team but the uh, teams within Cengage that They collaborate with. Then we're going to talk about uh, Compliance as a baseline. Right we talked it's not the end game but it is a baseline that you need within your security practice and we're also going to talk about a very critical thing when it comes to compliance in AWS is recording evidence as you go so avoiding that last week rush of you know we need a mountain of reports for our auditor let's just build it as we go and have that automated so we don't have to worry about it we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about encryption in scalable environments so for those of you that are ever tackled encryption you know there is a lot of headaches Uh, But there's a lot of great services within AWS and functionality and uh, good techniques that you can use to reduce those headaches. So that's the general structure you're in for. I think uh, you're going to learn a lot from Robert's story. Hopefully you'll take away some practical tips of what you can do today in your AWS deployments to make it easier and learn from Robert's experience and avoid some of the roadblocks that he's had to break through. Um, So with that, I'll hand it over to Robert.
1: Thanks, Mark. So as you mentioned, the first part is getting teams on board. Sangage um, Learning decided about five years ago to get out of publishing. We're not really get out of it, but move to an edtech company, like Mark mentioned. And what that meant to us was building more and more of our customer-facing platforms that can interact directly with the student, um, watch what they're doing, you know, see how we can help them learn better. Such as, you know, we see that you're in math and you're good at certain sections of math and you're not good at other ones. We're just going to keep showing you problems and questions and so on. That's going to help you get better and get stronger at math and what we found with some of our technology that it's actually gotten them say from a b to an a or a c to a b because of some of the things that we're doing but we also like you mentioned we need compute resources to do that because we're constantly watching constantly trying to understand how we can make it better for the student Um, and on top of that we're similar to amazon in the fact that you know Amazon's really blooms up this time of year, right, because of all the sales that they're doing and so on, we have a similar model where we, um, in August, September, beginning of October, we go like this because all the students go back to school, right? Um, also, there's times at, like, midterms and finals. Um, and then there's also the winter session, like January, parts of February, where they go back to school. So we go like this, and we want to go like that. So we've been working on making our systems more aware and more able to scale. We still have more work to do because some of our systems – as I'm sure you guys have, are older, and they might not want auto scale. There's some issues there, but we have over 20. I think we have 28 or 29 uh, customer facing systems, um, and we've made some work with auto scaling, and others have not. We're just going to continue to iterate through that. It just takes a while. You know, um, it's kind of surprising to me. My first AWS conference was 2013. You know, three years ago, um, there was like 11,000 people here then. Now there's 32,000. So it's really grown. We've grown in Amazon a lot in those three years. It's, it's really been an amazing thing for us. Um, but there's been a lot of learning along the way. One of the things that we've recently done is move our e-commerce system that does interact with the students during that September and during that January time frame so they can go directly on our e-commerce and obviously purchase what they want. Um, other times we sell directly to the university we might sell you know, thousands and thousands of licenses to use one of our products, but then there's a lot of times when the student can come directly to us. And we move that platform out of our traditional data center into Amazon, and we've been able to use a lot of the features and functionality there that it would cost us a lot more in our traditional data center. And it's also, I'll show you later on how it's it's accelerated our uh, movement into a a more compliant and secure environment. And it's less expensive. So I mentioned adaptive learning these flexible compute. You know, some of the other things we do is like, hey, would you be interested in flashcards? Again, you're going to take you from a C to a B, maybe from a D to a C. depends on how you know, good of a student or what you're, what you're focusing on. Another interesting part of our, our products is it, it shows the instructor when you've logged in and how many times you've logged in and what you've been doing in the system. So if, you can't, if the student comes to the instructor and says, hey, this class is not helping me. I'm having all kinds of problems. And they go in and look, and this person has only been in the system you know, for a few hours at a time, you know, over three weeks, and then they look at another student who's been in there every every day, you know, for an hour at a time, you're going to be like, hey, come on, you know, just get out of the parties and do your job. So, so and every, student, right. every student, right. Yeah, like our systems are like really quiet on, I think it's Friday. Isn't it Friday, Mike? You know, it's like dead quiet because everyone's out having a good time. Sunday night, everybody's into the system, seriously, and it's like you have to, oh, we can't handle this traffic sometimes. So, because they're trying to get their, their stuff in before Monday comes. Um, one of the other challenges, though, when you start to build out like that, you know, you're know, you going, like, I'm going to keep doing this, right, because that's what you're doing in Amazon. They need to throw five more servers or ten more servers and so on. We need to make sure that, that we're tracking that. And I, it's, it's just an awesome thing to go into the console and be able to see everything. Having that kind of visibility is something that we really didn't fully have in our traditional data center because we have so many different products and so on. And trying to see it all in one place, it, it, it's hard for compliance whether it's our PCI system, whether it's Sarbanes-Oxley, whether it's our FERPA, which is our, basically it's a, it's a federal requirement for privacy for students. Um, we need to be able to see how we're growing and shrinking and what came, what went, what was you know, brought up and destroyed so on. So as I mentioned, e-commerce system was built to take advantage of the scalability of the cloud. Se- September, it just goes nuts, just absolutely crazy. And everyone's in there watching it, trying to keep the stability and so on. And then you can add scalability to it with more instances and whatnot to help get ahead of that curve, just like Amazon has, I'm sure, on Black Friday um, and so on. Also, the encryption that comes with Amazon is is so inexpensive, and we'll get into that later on. But having it already in the cloud and being able to encrypt it really quickly is a huge step forward for for anyone. And then low-cost logging. As you know, with compliance, you need to log, log, log. If you're not logging, you don't have visibility into it, right? You just need to be able to see what happened when and how it happened. And we're still working on getting all the logging just right because you can just kill yourself with logs. Um, But there's a lot of things that you can do in Amazon for free or next to free, if you will, um, that we had a harder time with before. Back to the high level of visibility, like I mentioned, it's in the console. The great thing about Amazon is it's an ecosystem, right, kind of like iOS or like iTunes and all that. It's an ecosystem that you can use all these tools. Everything's available to you. You can see all your systems, see what they're doing, and just the the high level of visibility is just excellent. So one of the challenges are the need to understand the impact on security. Um, How many times do developers go and just start spinning up all kinds of instances, saying, you know, you didn't know what they were doing, all of a sudden you find 50 servers over here and 30 servers over there, and one might be externally exposed. I mean, you guys know all the stories, right? You, you've been there, done that. But being able to understand and highlight to them, look, you just brought up three instances, and they're externally exposed, and your security group is, like, Swiss cheese. And being able to sit down with them and show them that, look, they can't do this. You've got to, you know, stop doing that. Talk to CloudOps team. Then they talk to DevOps, and we help get this stuff cleaned up. Um, you really need to understand the impact. You need to portray that to the other groups because, it's so easy to spin up these resources now. It's like crazy. And they don't understand the cost of it, which some of our other guys freak out over. They'll bring it up. They forget to bring them down and so on. Um, one of the challenges, big challenge, was when they said 2013 we're going to the cloud, you know, all the developers and guys went running to the cloud. Oh, my God, I can spin up this dev environment and that dev environment. I can spin up this thing for QA. And they just, everybody started getting their hands into it and building it out and playing with it and so on. And it, it goes like this very quickly. And you have to go, whoa, oh, whoa, whoa, what data is here? What data is there? Is there student data here? You have to have conversations with them saying, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that. So that's definitely a big challenge. And then something that, you know, originally in 2013 or 14, the plan was we're going to get everything out of our data center and move it to Amazon. Hasn't happened. You know, there are, again, there are some legacy apps that just won't work very well on Amazon. And our company is over 100 years old. So not that we have 100-year-old apps, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, well. Um, But some of them are pretty old, right, but they still make money, right These things don't go away, you're like, okay, this thing's 10 years old But it's still making a million dollars, so you don't want to turn it off, right So we keep that in our traditional data center And now we have to maintain compliance across both data centers So that's definitely a challenge Uh, Helpful hints, use the AWS team to get the right guidance And find the right resources, this has been huge for us um, our AWS team is in Boston. It's like Costas, John, and Don. They're with us every week. They meet with us. They're, they've really helped us the whole, through the whole transition, and they've been fantastic. Um, they tell us about the newest things coming out. Hey, this is coming out. Or, hey, this exists. You didn't know about it. Maybe you should try that. You know, they have all kinds of sessions with us. Our, my guys work with them quite often. The, the Cloud Ops team is with them probably every other day. Um, so you really need to build your team, work with them, and, and just help. They'll help you move forward. Much more quickly too. <coughs> Compliance as a baseline. Like I mentioned, you know, when we decided to go to the cloud, it was Everybody was building stuff, bringing stuff up, playing around, playing around. Well, next thing you know, you've got a couple hundred servers, maybe three, four, five hundred servers. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So we needed to make sure that we stopped some of that and we tried to bake some of the security in from the beginning. Um, we have a product that's kind of like cloud formation that we wrote in-house. And we, try, we did put more and more of our products in there. So when the, the instances are coming out of the factory, they have security built in already. And we can go back, and, and we don't have to retrofit because retrofitting is a nightmare, right, trying to go back. And it's a little bit easier on Amazon, I will say, than a traditional data center because you can bring something up new, destroy the old stuff. And we, you're constantly doing that in Amazon. Um, but basically, you've got to be there from the beginning and make your life a lot easier with compliance. Orchestrate agents and settings. I think I'll get into this a little bit later on. We'll get touched to it too much now. But one of the things about Amaz- being in Amazon is, and it's a fully software environment. So you're going to see agents all over the place. We have a whole bunch of agents that our security, you know, vendors give us. Uh, the cloud ops guys, they have a ton of agents they want. Next thing you know, you're all fighting for CPU space and hard drive space, and you know, it's. Your, one of yours might have brought the system down because there's a bug one of theirs, and so on. So orchestrating agents um, and settings, there's a bazillion settings in Amazon that you have to learn how to deal with and how to use. Um, But it's not that hard. There's so much documentation out there. There's so much help out there from your team and from outside resources and videos. You can learn very quickly. I've been very impressed with uh, getting up to speed and and running quickly with security and compliance uh, because others have done it before and especially now with the past 3 years i mean you see in the vendor space how many security vendors there are there i think half the floor was security vendors right it's a it's a big space to be in right now and there's a lot of help again the challenge not being involved at the beginning hey we're doing this by the way but we have 3 400 servers out there we need you to take a look at them and you're like oh my god wait a minute hold on calm down you know let's take a look at this this is this is too much again too many agents running on this i can't overstate this enough you know we have a trend instant we have trend agent we have a Qualis agent um, drawing a blank on some of other ones but the other the other cloud ops guys have probably three or four agents themselves and then DevOps wants to put stuff on there and it just starts to snowball so you have to be really careful next thing you know you're going from a medium instance to a large instance and then the price goes up and then the guys who are watching the bill are starting to get upset right and you don't want to be that last agent that you put on that Sends it to the next instance level, and then they get all mad, right? You're the one that caused the bill to go up. So you have to, you know, you have to be mindful. The, it, another thing about security, too, is understand what the bill is. You know, we have cloud, um, cloud health that tells us what the bill is, and I can go in there and look at this and say, you know, this, this looks a bit too much. This isn't, this isn't bad, and so on and so forth. But you should actually step back and understand what your impact is going to be. If I turn this on, this on, that on, whether it's this agent, that agent, whether it's all the different features and functionalities in Amazon, what is compliance going to cost you? Because you don't want to, you know, your bill goes up $50,000 a month later, you didn't realize that, they're going to come looking for you. And maybe you can justify it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can't, you know, and you have to scale some of it back. But it can balloon up pretty quickly. Logging structure and analysis. That's a big one. I mean, without logs, you're not going to get anywhere with compliance, Right. And we still have struggles with this, especially when you're pulling back so many logs, it's getting to be a little unmanageable, untenable, and so on. So you have to sit down and figure out, you know, classify your logs, classify what you want to get, where you're going to store it, how you're going to extract out of there, and so on. Um, I think you guys should know that that logging is a big part of compliance for evidence and so on, especially when everything's virtualized out in an Amazon environment. The nice thing is Amazon provides a bazillion ways to get logs. To look at what you're doing. Maybe not a bazillion, but a lot. Um, and that's baked into Amazon. So there's definitely a place to go and get more visibility than what we had before. Helpful hints. Small steps. You definitely have to take small steps to show progress. Don't, you, know, you don't show up with ten things that you need the Cloud ops guys to do or the DevOps guys to do because they're going to probably glaze over. Like DevOps has these, this long list of things that they need to do, right? All these features that are coming out in the next release and they need stability and so on, right? So don't come up with this 10 list. Say, I want you to do these two or three first and show some, some progress there and it's more manageable for them. And then, you know, the next iteration, two or three steps and so on. You don't have to do it all right overnight, stress everybody out and everyone starts to hate security. They already hate us enough, you know? So don't propagate that. Well, they don't hate me, but they probably hate you
0: guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Get as much training as you can, right? I mean, talk about, you know, uh, show of hands, who's the the 1st reinvent. This isn't your 1st reinvent. Okay, that's a good amount. It's somewhat shocking, isn't it? I was shocked. I was like, whoa, there's so much going on. There's so much to learn. There's all these things you can go, you know, learn about this, learn about that. There's training sessions, boot camps. There's so much to do here. And then, again, like I said before, YouTube. Um, there's, there's, you know it was a Cloud Guru, yep. Cloud Academy. There's all these other ones online so you can learn a lot about the cloud. But get as much training as you can because you're going to need it because it's definitely a – there's a lot of features and functionality here. And then partner with experienced vendors. We brought someone in in 2014 that spent, I don't know, around six months with us, maybe a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. But they had a lot of cloud experience, and they've really helped us you know, speed up. Very much so. They helped us with some of the policies. They said, hey, you probably can't do this right away, or this feature that just came out is going to take another six months to, to mature and so on. And here's the things that other companies are doing in your space. You know, We won't tell you their name, but they're kind of down the street and you know who they are. Um, and this is some of the bumps and problems that they had. You don't want to do that. So pay for some of the expertise, especially if your group is small. That really helped us a lot. With that, I'll give it to Mr. Martin.
0: Perfect. Thank you. That's great. There's a lot of good insight. So what I'm going to do is kind of show you some of the practical steps you can take to implement some of that um, in your AWS deployments today. Okay, so the first thing you need to do is choose compliance services. And that sounds really odd, but you need to be aware that for each compliance framework in AWS, so if you go to AWS, well, the URL right here, aws.amazon.com compliance, you'll see just this massive sheet of logos. Right, because it's for the entire uh, global span of AWS, and there are specific regional ones, and then there's the big ones we know about. So um, things like uh, PCI, like HIPAA, and like FedRAMP that are that are local here. Um, but the, uh, not every single service in AWS is compliant with each of these frameworks. So if you're trying to build a PCI compliant service, you need to go verify that the services you're leveraging in AWS are in fact PCI compliant. Because if you're not using a PCI-compliant service, you cannot gain PCI compliance for your application itself. So a very simple example. If you're using EC2, EC2 in uh, all regions globally is PCI-compliant. AWS Lambda is not yet a PCI-compliant service. Okay? So you need to make sure that if you're leveraging a Lambda in your PCI design, that it's not within scope of the actual PCI requirements. Right? So it's not touching personally identifiable information. This is something you need to know ahead of time because you don't want to end up in the scenario where you're like, look at this cool thing we built, and oh, crap, we're leveraging services that aren't compliant, so we can't have a compliant design. The list changes all the time. There is a compliance team within AWS that that is their sole job, is to go out and find new logo for compliance and keep adding uh, services to the roster of compliance. And it is a matter of time, and it is also region-specific so just because a service from aws is pci compliant in one region does not mean it is pci compliant in all regions You need to make sure that where you're building it falls under the right compliance umbrella okay And you can talk to your aws reps or check the main list um, and especially if you want to kind of put the uh, pedal down and get them to get a little more effort in getting something complied uh, in, under compliance i recommend calling your aws people. Um, So on top of that, just because you're using an AWS compliant service doesn't mean you will get compliance automatically. So again, EC2, it's a compliant service, but there are a lot of things that you can do with uh, EC2 features that will get you out of compliance, right? So security groups, you can do whatever you want with a security group. I'm sure you've seen a lot of people try to do whatever they want Mm -hmm. with a security group. You can open an instance uh, like SSH to an instance, open up to the world. So let anybody remote into your box or try to remote in your box. Pro tip. Don't ever do that. It's a horrible, horrible idea. But you have that power, that ability to do it. So you need to make sure that you understand the features, so the buttons and knobs in the, in the service, to make sure that you're also following uh, under compliance. And then once you've kind of got that mapped out, you want to uh, make sure that you're going to close any gaps. So again, with EC2, you've, uh, you know, you've picked a compliant service. You've made sure that you've got, um, strong configuration with the service itself, but there's still things like running, uh, keeping, uh, Windows patched um, or keeping Linux up to date, um, configuring users on the OS itself. These are gaps in your requirements that you're still going to need to, um, maintain yourself and continue to operate. And that sort of brings us to the main challenge around compliance, which is keeping control of change without limiting change. Right Without limiting the flexibility of your development teams, you want to make sure that you're still falling under compliance. So now I'm going to overwhelm you with a diagram for a second. Um, there's a lot going on on this diagram, but what it results is it's a very standard N-tier application. This actually comes right out of the AWS architecture library. That's an actual thing, by the way. Same main AWS site slash architecture. They have a whole bunch of these fancy diagrams, um, as well as the um, appropriate documentation and cloud uh, formation templates to build these things. So they've got architectures for, uh, like, media streaming, e-commerce apps, a whole bunch of common solutions. Um, So we're going to talk a bit about this, and you'll see that, you know, we've got a number of services. All of these services um, within U.S. East and U.S. West are PCI-compliant. So if we wanted to build a PCI-compliant solution, we could use this design. It's one of the advantages of having, um, the, uh, standard architectures. They've been proofed, um, and used time and time again. But in order to gain that compliance, I want to show you a couple services within AWS that you need to actually turn on to get working. And we're going to start with, um, cloud, uh, trail. So cloud trail is an automatic logging service of all, almost all AWS API calls that happen in the background. So to get it started, you very simply give it a trail name. Um, So in this case, I'm just going to call it activity. Then you're going to give it the name of an S3 bucket um, to create, or you can give it an existing bucket name. And it's going to, on a regular basis, every two to four minutes, it's going to drop all of the API calls, along with the identity that made that call, into an S3 bucket. Completely hands-off for all regions, because we selected that as an option. So you see here, it's created the cloud trails across all of my regions. And if I dive in, I can see it's applied to all regions. It's including all the global services. And here's the bucket that it's doing. So now all of my API calls are automatically being logged, which is fantastic for compliance. And in S3, it's very inexpensive. So the next thing I want to set up is AWS config. Again, I get the lovely landing page, because it's the first time I want to turn it on. Uh, But here, I'm going to say I want to do all resources. So I want to look at all resources, and it's actually going to pull off of um, a CloudTrail, and it's going to put its own information into another S3 bucket. So again, extremely low-cost compliance service that's very, very simple to set up. In addition, it's going to create an SNS topic that's going to notify me of changes, and it's going to automatically create the appropriate IAM role that gives me uh, permission to do uh, the monitoring with uh, config. And now I'm going to add what's called a rule. And a config rule does a compliance check for you. In this case, I'm going to ask to make sure that Cloudtrail is enabled and that my root account has MFA. So multi-factor authentication. So I can't just log in with a username and password. I need a token, so something on my uh, smartphone or a physical one. It takes several seconds, which usually ends up being under 10. Um, but several seems better so they're not held to a certain thing um, But you click the button And now in the background what it's doing Is creating a service that's going to monitor changes over time And the first thing it's going to do is enable uh, run those rules To see if I'm compliant And you'll see in a second here it's running an evaluation And it's going to pop back And it's going to tell me that CloudTrail's enabled Because we just turned it on, right, took three seconds But I've been a very, very bad user And I do not have root MFA turned on So there's another immediately practical tip um, and I won't get offended if you email your teams right now, um, to tell them to add root MFA. So make sure that your root Amazon account cannot be logged into unless somebody has an additional token, because that's the keys to the castle quite literally in this case. So these services are fantastic for compliance, and we're going to dive deeper into them in a minute, but you need to take the you know, two minutes to set them up, right? Because you need to have that data accumulating in the background in your S3 bucket, so extremely low cost, Also, after you've done this, it's extremely hands-off. So now a little bit about EC2 instances. So I've highlighted them here in the design. We have an N number amount in both these layers um, that we need to make sure that we have a repeatable process for change on these instances. So if somebody's deploying new code to them, and um, you saw from the keynote this morning, we've now got a full automated pipeline from AWS. So code commit, code build, code deploy with the pipeline to manage it. And they also all log automatically into CloudTrail without you doing a thing, right? And we'll see that a little bit as we go on. So continuous deployment, continuous integration. and um, These are all points for change within your environment. And compliance is all about tracking change and making sure that it falls within the parameters that maintain the security levels that you need to. Um, And that means that build server is a critical compliance actor. Now, almost everybody in here will have an existing uh, build server, unless you were on the preview for the new services, right? The log output of your build server is a fantastic source of evidence because it's telling you what build, which references to your version control, so you know what code was running in production and when it got deployed out into production. If you have that build server... Um, pushing out into um, a log file, so CloudWatch logs, um, or some other third-party logging tool. Now you're going to be tracking anytime you're introducing new code into your environment, which is one of the number one questions any auditor for any framework is going to ask you. Right? You're going to say, I have all these servers that are running this e-commerce platform, and I update it every two weeks. Okay, prove it that you update it every two weeks. Your build, source, uh, build server is the source of that information. Um, And that brings us to our next topic. So Robert's going to take over and talk to you about recording evidence as you move along through your process.
1: Yeah, one of the issues we had was, you know, again, with 28 or 29 customer-facing systems, um, we had to start to make sense of all these different multi-system, all the different multi-system evidence that we're collecting. Um, It's very difficult to parse through all this information and we're still working on ways to get it correct. Um, but there are areas um, that you can you can get help from with Amazon such as like using CloudWatch events and so on. But the amount of log data that we've gotten from several platforms is quite substantial. And you just gotta be careful that there isn't overload. And again, it's back to classifying the logs that you want and so on because you can get too much um, And also, don't forget, a lot of times you're logging to the same system that other groups are logging to, so you have to be mindful about how many logs you're pumping in here, and they're pumping in, and next thing you know, the whole system gets ginormous. Um, Also, monitoring's impact on performance. Again, back to some of the agents, all the monitoring that's being done, whether it's with with our trend deep security that we're using, uh, our vulnerability management, some of the stuff that the Cloud Ops guys are using, um, to keep track of what systems are up, any kind of changes that happen and so on, um, the monitoring impact and performance can be substantial. So you don't want security to be a roadblock, right, where you start bringing systems down or really slowing systems down. Um, we've had that with a couple vendors with some of their agents just having issues with memory and running off and killing off the memory. Um, so be mindful, test, test, test before you roll it out to production because there's, it, there's a big impact. You don't wanna be that guy that brought the stuff down. And then, this is a big one, increased costs. I mean, the more controls you have, you know, if we have controls for PCI, we have controls for Sarbanes-Oxley, we have controls for FERPA or the privacy standard at students or we have to um, comply with for students. There's a whole list of controls for each one of these and that can get really expensive. So you have to be mindful of working with other teams to make sure that they understand, hey, if you wanna collect all this information about a student, then it's going to be under the, um, the purview of FERPA. And now we're going to have to apply all these controls or wrap all these controls around your system. And when we do that, you know, there's 20, 30 controls. That, the cost goes through the roof for some of this stuff. So we have to be mindful we have to tell them, look, if you're going to do this, um, it's going to cost a lot of money. Like we had, they came to me about two years ago and said, we want to let the student in some of the little apps we have purchase the products right there in the app. I said, well, now that all of a sudden we're going to point the flashlight of PCI on that little app that you want to use, it's great for the student. I get what you're trying to do, but how about you just push them back? You know, send them back to our e-commerce platform because we're going to wrap all these controls. I mean, if you guys, if you guys know PCI, the list is gi- is gigantic, right? And when you show them that list, they go, ugh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So, the, it, they went away and we just pointed to the e commerce system, and, and that was it. But unfortunately for me, they got us involved without going off and doing it, right? Sometimes you just go off and do it, and you find out later on, and then you gotta, you're the bad guy. Um, so, yeah, the cost can go through the roof for compliance. You have to keep track of that. <clears throat> Some helpful hints start with the basics. You know, we, we just did what we started with what we're good at, right? We, we were good traditionally with vulnerability management. We were good with patching and so on. All those basic things that we had done in our traditional data center, um, we were able to mostly move over. We might have used a new product, like I think we were using Alteris in our traditional data center, and we went with Puppet in uh, in Amazon, which Puppet's great. Alteris is good too, it does its job, right? But we we just took the same controls, the same policies and procedures, and we pushed them over into the cloud, and and it worked. And we started there and worked our way up from that. Um, You always got to start with a good foundation. Supplement with products that have good reporting. Kind of learned this one in a hard way, right? All this free stuff is out there. If you don't have the development resources to help you write reports and parse through the data and so on, then you're not getting out of the system what you want. Yeah, it's free, but I don't know. Show of hands, who has all the security people they could ever want? Right. Unless you're Capital One or, no offense, they're going to probably get yelled at. You know, They have 100 and some developers. Um, We don't have that. So I'm a big fan of, you know, get it out of the box. Can't you use that vanilla report that came with this, maybe, you know, alter it and so on? Um, Get whatever we can get out of the box. So we got rid of one logging platform and went to another one that had more reports out of the box. Um, And those vendors are here, actually. We have two logging platforms, and we're getting ready to move to one final one. Um, This can't be overstated. Developers are the key to success. This is a software world we've moved into now, Right? This is all software, all the time. Very little hardware. It's not like traditional network security and so on. We need coders. We need developers that are going to help us write this hooks and APIs, write you know code with Python, PowerShell scripting, whatever you need to do. Um, we need people that can dig in and understand this, and people that want to be doing this. So it's 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 tough I'm trying to find a good coder that wants to do security. A lot of them just want to go write code and you know build stuff, and it looks cool, it runs great. But a security person, I think, is is tough to find. Um, fortunately for me, uh, we found a few really good ones. And uh, uh, this next slide, I think you'll uh, get a, you'll like this very much. This is how we've automated application security. We're s- still working on it; should be completed this month. But the preliminary work is done. Um, basically, what you see here is you have a Jenkins build. You kick off a Docker container or multiple containers depending on how you want to scan the zap container swarm is built out we're running zap for application security testing so the proxy runs step one is it mimics the user it authenticates the app and then it runs those vulnerability scans this is all automated then it, it hits a target application or many applications whatever you want to run against It creates this report and it dumps it into a product called defect dojo which our manager of application security helped write And it also notifies us on slack that hey this scans done You can notify and say the scans done here's what I found whatever you want to do slack wise But the best part is this is the my favorite part. I mean the container part's cool, too But it dumps it into Jira so the developers can see it right away Right, so and that's really powerful Because now they can see it in there. They know they have to act on it, work on it. We've met with the VPs of those groups and so on, and they like it. They told us how they wanted it to be presented in JIRA, and we presented it the way they wanted. And that's fully automated. The developers see it. They start to work on those vulnerabilities, and then they iterate and go do the same thing again. They can kick off a Jenkins build and then a container build and go back and do it again. Did did what I work on, did it help? Did it close the vulnerability? Did it make it worse? Whatever. That whole process of automation starts over again. And that's really, from a CISO perspective, that's really where I want to be. And I think, you know, everybody keeps talking about automation, 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 things with Lambda and whatnot, where by the time you get there, it's already kicked off and it's already been remediated. We want to get to that world where we're not jumping in trying to fix something. It's already been fixed. Um, And it's going to take a while. It's going to take developers. It's going to take security people. It's going to take testing and time and money. But this is a huge step forward for us, huge step forward. Mr. Mark?
0: Perfect. That's great. And I think one of the key things, I'm just going to rewind for one second. Um, I know a bunch of you took a snapshot. The slides will be up on the AWS SlideShare very, very shortly. But I think one of the key takeaways here is that most of this stuff is open source or community available, right, which lets you set it up and start automating this flow. And very few companies get to the point where you're already at that have this automated flow. But besides being um, open and community-based, And for me, when when Robert told me about this flow, one of the things that really kind of stood out was the fact that by pushing things back into JIRA, which his development teams and the business teams are used to, he's talking to them where they listen, right? And all of these points have output into compliance as well. So you can now show that we found a defect, we remediated the defect, and here's all the evidence that that, that says that. That's huge. So one of the things that we've kind of been dancing around, but I'd like to call out specifically is not only for a cost perspective, but just for a sanity perspective. You wanna try to get to a single-ish source of truth, right? So you want one place to go to look for all of your compliance evidence, right? One place to look for logs. My recommendation, if you're primarily in AWS, tends to be S3 because it's significantly cheaper. um, It's essentially infinitely scalable, um, and you can push things out to Glacier to cut the cost even lower. Um, And then as of this week, we all have uh, some pretty cool new stuff that reads right out of S3. Um, So Athena, you can do queries on the data, and uh, with QuickSight, which was uh, GA'd two weeks ago, you can actually visualize all that data as well. So significantly easier now to have all data in one place, And then um, easily low-cost tools to be able to uh, query that data, analyze it, but also to visualize it, um, which is great. Uh, But specific to compliance, CloudTrail that we saw, there's the URL for that, and config play a really, really key role. So I wanted to show you a little bit more about config itself, um, because I don't think a lot of people use it. Um, So when you dive into config, we've already set it up. You've already seen the rules. But if we click on um, the Resources tab, you're going to see really um, the big takeaway for Config. Um, And it gives you a little bit of uh, filtering ability, so very large accounts. um, You can start to filter by resource type. You can say, I only want to see RDS right now. I only want to see VPC structures. You can see here almost uh, all the core AWS services are available within Config, and they are adding new services all the time. It is not automatic. Um, They do need to put things in because Config actually creates a snapshot of the parameters of each of these objects. So in this case, what we're going to do is ask for EC2 instances, Um, It's always an easy, uh, good example. We're not going to add any additional filtering. And you'll see in my very active account, I have one EC2 instance. Um, A lot easier to make demos when there's one thing to pay attention to. Uh, But normally, you get a massive list. But if I click on this little weird icon, which I've never quite figured out because it seems to be a timeline in reverse, um, you get this view. And this view is excellent. It's my favorite feature um, because it is literally a timeline. um, And you'll notice at the bottom of the box, it says number of changes and number of events. And as you scroll down, you get all of the details as to what changed and what this object is related to. So you see I have one EC2 network interface. If I had multiple, they'd be all listed. The subnet, the volumes, the VPC. And I can click there and go into those timelines as well. So if you hand an auditor access to config, which is read-only by default, by the way, so it's okay to hand off, um, they get to be able to dive into this data in a visual way and see how your um, system has changed over time right? That's extremely powerful. And you'll see it actually links to the cloud trail events um, and a whole bunch of detail. This is the um, output. It has an API underneath it. So if you want to stitch this into another system, all this information is available as one big JSON document. So you can tie this into other areas like custom reporting. So Robert's point about getting developers on, it's really easy to crunch through a JSON document um, to pull out really snazzy looking reports, um, which we know, no offense to executives, graphs are always better. Um, I'm in dev, so I like the JSON Or give me the raw log lines And I'm a happy camper um, But that's config So config, very low cost, very easy way um, To get moving um, with compliance One of the key features they released last reInvent So last year, was this rules ability Now we saw we enabled an out-of-the-box rule So in this case, CloudTrail Very simply, um, it calls a Lambda in the background That checks your account to make sure that CloudTrail's on And it returns a result Saying that you're either compliant, you're non-compliant Or something went horribly, horribly wrong um, you have the ability to write your own rules. So if you think about that for a minute, um, in Robert's case, he could write a config rule that checks the results from Defect Dojo or from JIRA and sees where they are. So are they compliant? Have they fixed that ticket in a sufficient time? Right? It's completely extensible. There's a wide variety of um, rules already available, but we can add one really easy here. So we're going to add one in, um, and we're going to just simply give it a name. You can add a description, which is always good operational practice, um, I'm always very creative with my descriptions. Um, You can create a new Lambda right from here, or you can give it the um, address name of uh, an existing one. Um, And then you can set it to either uh, trigger based on an event or periodic. So in this case, we're going to say every hour. Then you can add some environmental variables to it as well. So if you want to access encrypted data, you could put a KMS key ID in here or just random variables. But this thing's going to run every hour for us. We could have also just as easily said, please run this custom rule every time you see an EC2 change. Um, but basically what it does is it makes uh, fires the lambda, and as long as your lambda returns this chunk, I know I don't normally show code at 200 levels, um, but you see it's very, very simple. It says an, a resource, a resource type, so an instance ID, it was an EC2 instance and whether it was compliant or not, and then it shows up in the dashboard, and it gives you the ability to drill in here. So you can link config into your own systems, and the goal here is to take all of the compliance data from the other systems and put it in one place. Right? So very simple to extend it um, Very easy to call if any of your other systems have an API Or have accessible data Then you can get it into config and get it into that timeline view Because the rules will also show up as events when you have changes So if somebody made an API call to change the security group of an EC2 instance You will see that in config that there was a security group change And then you can drill down and see all the rule results based on that so if somebody changed the security group to uh, do what we all know is bad, right, uh, opening up SSH to the world, you can then run a rule in response to that and say, okay, we sent somebody to go have a chat with that person to explain why that was a horrible, horrible idea, right, which may result as to why people don't tend to like the security team too much because we rarely show up when it's a good thing, right? You'll rarely see a security analyst show up and be like, you did a really great job today, and then leave. We normally are the bearers of bad news. Um, yeah. We're trying as a community to try to make that better, but in this case, it's kind of true. Um, so config is a really, really powerful way, uh, and with config rules, to extend um, your compliance environment so that you're making additional checks. So you're not just tracking what's happening in the AWS account. You're extending into your custom applications and into custom systems. Immensely powerful over that simple principle of just returning um, a resource ID, a resource type, and then whether whatever you asked for was compliant or not. Um, and that really kind of goes into our last area that we want to talk about, which is encryption, which can be a significant challenge, but there's a lot of tools available to make it easier. And for more on that, Robert's going to take over.
1: Interesting. When I started this job 10 years ago, there wasn't a security person in charge, and my nickname was Dr. No, because I kept saying, no, 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 you can't do this. Oh, my God. you, My God, you can't do this. Stop doing this, and so on. So, yeah, that's the... Reputation I used to have now obviously things have gotten better and smoothed out and work together all the time But boy in the beginning it was tough um, Interesting if you go back to the config rules, I think it was the beginning of October They released a new rule that you could check and get a compliance report on who had encryption turned on in RDS um, That's a big step forward for us because as you're going to see here We're moving forward with encryption, and it is so, so much easier. I can't overstate that. It's so much easier in Amazon than it ever was in our traditional data center. And we have a requirement, you know, with PCI. You have a requirement with FERPA, and I'm sure, you know, healthcare, HIPAA, and all that. They have this encryption, soft encryption requirement, but it's kind of like personal hygiene now. You should be doing encryption, right? Encryption at rest. Encryption at transit is pretty easy. The encryption at rest has always been very tough. So what happened to us before was We would go to some of the DBAs and so on In the data center And whether it was Oracle or Microsoft or whatever It always seemed to turn out when I talked to them That we had a standard version And that didn't have encryption You had to get the enterprise version And that cost a fortune, right? It's like 40 grand, it's 30 grand, it's 20 grand Oh, and by the way, they, they start complaining that you know It's going to consume all these resources on my server And you can't do that Blah, blah, blah. So you're going to have to buy another processor Or... You can buy another processor, but we don't have room in the box for another so You've got to buy a whole new box. So, you know, it's just snows, snowballs. So the requirement was we need encryption at rest, a transit, and then we need encrypted backups. And the backup part is a whole other story, right? You were backing up to tape before, and if you're going to do encryption, let's say you're back up to tape, it consumed one tape at night, um, and it took four hours. Well, when you use encryption, the compression goes away. So now it's going to take eight hours and take two tapes, and then they have a complete fit, right? But you need to get the encrypted backups done, because on that checklist, it says, do you encrypt your backups? When they go off-site and they get lost, you want to be able to say, I encrypted it, right? But then you get this big war of, we need twice as many tapes, and you're going to back up all these other jobs. And nah, 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 nah. you know it's just one excuse after another, and it's a valid, I get what they're saying. But we need to get our job done, and those guys are going to need to get their job done, and it's tough. So... One of the great things about Amazon that encryption was built in from day one when we started. And it's gotten better and better and better. The key management's gotten better and so on. But one of the things that – the biggest thing that our reps kept telling us was that you're not going to see an impact, right? You're going to turn encryption on and you're not going to see an impact. And I'm like, ah, come on. So we started, I started asking other people. And I, I even asked Mark on a conference call because I was like, really? I mean, you know, we, we just started doing this over the past, I think, like four months, five months, I'm like, is this really true? And it turns out, as so we tested, it's true. They're doing it at the higher level of the stack, and we never see a hit. So how how great is that, right? So it was one of the ways to overcome preconceived notions when you talk to DBAs and everybody else. There's no hit here. But then they think you're lying. You know, you need to prove it to them. So that's what we had to do. We had to show them that the performance hit wasn't there. So what we do is take a snapshot, encrypt it, and we they mount, remount the new encrypted volume and they got to test all they wanted on it and they didn't see a hit. So they were like, oh my God. Like, yeah, and it's great, right? So now we can roll through our other products that are on RDS and quickly get them uh, compliant. And the cost is really minimal. I mean, I will not say it's pennies, it's dollars, but it's nowhere near the 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 that you would have to do for an Oracle, for a Microsoft, and so on. It's shockingly cheap. It uh, almost doesn't even show up. It's just one of the great things about Amazon is they knew they had to do this, and they gave that away in order to get more people into the, you know, get into the farm, so to speak, use their product. So what we did was we smart, started with some smaller platforms because, you know, they're one of the one of the legitimate concerns was they didn't want to have the downtime for their platform. You know, some of these databases are very large, and it can take hours. We're learning more feature, more more ways to minimize downtime, but... You can probably be down for an hour, two hours, three hours. Encryption is happening at that point, and then you're going to remount. So we started with the smaller platforms, so then we can go back to the bigger platforms and go, look, all of these guys have done it. No problem. You can go talk to them. It works. Again, when you have you know, 28 products, 29 products, you have all these different teams all over the place, the word can start to spread, and we're seeing that that's starting to happen now. It's not a problem. Um, show how easy it can be. Again, you know snapshot, remount, snapshot, encrypt, remount, done, and it, it the, the nice thing is is once you do the encryption, the snapshot's encrypted already, so there you go, your backup is encrypted, so you kill two birds with one stone. It is really a huge step forward, um, at least for us, because we have some very large databases and we have some we had some big concerns about how to do it.:
0: Perfect, that's great. So for those of you who are still trying to figure out how there's no performance hit. From an engineering perspective, there is a performance hit, but the advantage of the service model is that it's not mine. It's the services. So if you're asking for a disk that has 3,000 IOPS and you, it's encrypted, there is a hit, but then you still get 3,000 IOPS because the hit is absorbed by AWS as a service provider. So they're just hiding. They're taking that on the nose so that we get uh, better value, and um, like you said, for very, very cheap. So it's there, but the advantage of the service model is that I don't have to worry about it. It's somebody else's problem. And I don't know about you, but anytime I can shove work to someone else, I'm a little bit happy about that. So, um, one of the things with encryption, um, is, uh, the key to it, ironically, is keys. Okay? Um, so a friend, a good friend of mine uh, always likes to say that encryption is really easy. It's decryption that's hard. Um, right? Anybody can encrypt anything, but it's managing that key that is really, really tricky. So a lot of the regulatory requirements will actually let you store encrypted data um, anywhere, but it's the keys that they're focusing on. So who has access to the keys, where do the keys sit, um, and are they secure? Um, so that gives you this issue of you, know, you need to figure out when do keys need to be released to different resources, who has access to those keys, and how can you audit the key usage. And in response to that, AWS actually released a service last year called KMS, It's, oddly enough, the key management service. Um, If you look for it in the new console, by the way, you will not find it, um, because while it is its own service, it actually hides under um, IAM, so Identity and Access Management. I've already opened a ticket and asked them to let me type KMS, because I am that lazy. Um, But when you go into the IAM, you'll see there's this lovely little encryption keys in the bottom. And it's very, very simple. You have a list of keys. You have master keys and data keys, um, and a full API under KMS, that lets you manage these keys. In this case, what I'm gonna be doing is creating a new master key. Um, This is my main, main key, right? And I'm gonna let KMS generate the key material, but if you have more advanced requirements, you can actually give it the pre-generated stuff. Um, Then you select administrators. You can obviously go back later and add more admins. Um, I'll add my very creatively named admin account. Um, And then you can give cross-account roles. So if we're sharing accounts or you have one main account to manage keys, you can authorize additional business units to access these. And now we need to define how that key is going to be used. We've said what it is, who can access it, and now we don't even have to worry about this. This is a pre-authorized policy from AWS security um, that gives you the admin uh, around this key um, and the usage of the key, but you can see it's a pretty big policy. But it gets the master key up and running. And now that we have a master key, um, we're able to create data keys. And the challenging thing about encryption, and I'm sure you've seen um, a number of um, high-profile hacks and and attacks um, where people are like, oh, they were using encryption or the encryption was flawed. Um, With KMS, um, they've taken a lot of that away with a basic usage. You can see there, you know, there's the ability to delete keys and manage them, Um, but there's an API that literally has an encrypt and a decrypt function. So a lot of the options and where people kind of stumble is taken away from you, Um, and they've really tried to add uh, simplicity here. So it's a checkbox To rotate your keys which is a good practice you don't want to have one key that sits forever um, which is why you have that master key that has a really really long life and data keys that you can rotate on a regular basis but even the rotation is taken care of as part of the service so a lot of the operational burden of running encryption is taken away from you with this service and the operational part is where people mess up because it's really really hard to a implement encryption, but then to operate it on a day-to-day basis. So please take advantage of a service like this, because um, it makes it a lot easier for you, because you're offloading a lot of that to uh, the service provider. So I think some of the key takeaways from this session, because you, you've heard uh, you know uh, some of the challenges that Robert and his team and Cengage as a company have had to um, overcome, um, is that there's this reoccurring pattern in everything you know, he was talking about, was start small, prove that you were successful, and then iterate to the next loop. We heard that from Werner in the keynote this morning. We heard it from um, uh, Matt Wood uh, on Tuesday night as well. Start small. Show that you've been successful. That helps get more people on board. And then go a little bit bigger. Um, You need to plan. You need to get involved early, especially when it comes to compliance. We saw that by turning on Config and turning on CloudTrail. They're only good if they're on. If they're not on, you can't magically go back in time and turn them on. It takes 20 seconds to turn each service on, and that's just a small example of how you need to be planning ahead and getting active and involved. And as with everything in AWS, if you're doing it by hand, you're probably doing it wrong. Okay? Everything in AWS is available via an API, or at least 98% of everything is available via an API. This is why developers are critical. Uh, Because you need to automate this. You shouldn't be doing the same task over and over again. That's what we built computers for in the first place. And they're really good at doing the same thing Over and over and over again and almost doing it right every single time. So you need to automate. You need to orchestrate. And I think if you take anything away, um, this is a really Good way to um, you know, start getting teams on board and start Understanding that you can achieve compliance in AWS. In fact, it's been my experience talking To people around the world over the last few years that it's far easier To achieve compliance in AWS Simply because everything is coded we can set up these tools To log everything to one place And we don't have to find that you know old rack of shame In the data center of the stuff that you're not really supposed to touch But it still falls under compliance That's the really hard stuff When you're dealing with the cloud, you don't have to worry about that Unfortunately, when you have hybrid environments You still have to deal with that But at least in this case, what you've got is You're making it far easier for yourself in AWS Which frees your resources up And your time up to deal with the hard stuff um, so with that, we're going to do a quick Q&A. Um, thank you very, very much. Uh, please remember uh, to complete your evaluations in the mobile app. Um, there is uh, extra swag available as a giveaway for people who complete the, uh, the evaluations. Um, but we can do some general Q&A for a couple of minutes, and then Robert and I are going to be around um, if you want to come up and chat. So did anyone want to ask a public question? No? We'll, okay, so we'll be around. So thank you very, very much. We appreciate it.